Hi, I'm Tristan Miller, and this is Positive and Negative, a podcast about the intersectionality between mental health and the arts. Today on the program, I speak with Kenise Mobley, a gifted and talented stand-up comedian. We have a discussion about depression and anxiety and how she copes best with those things. Here she is talking about the therapeutic elements of stand-up comedy. Two months ago, I was at a show, my show, and I get a call, and it's that my friend, a pretty good friend, had just died. Oh, I'm sorry. But then I had to walk on stage and do comedy. And it's like, I don't know. There's a part of me that is able to turn all of that off when I am on stage. And that's honestly, that might be why I have done comedy as much as I've done it over the last six years. Like, not that I'm depressed all of the time, but... It is certainly nice that regardless of how I am personally feeling, mm-hmm. I can turn that off and go on stage and yeah. do this thing. Yeah. I think that's also a huge appeal of like acting. Like you don't have to think about your own problems yes. for whatever amount of time. But yeah, that sounds really rough. I'm sorry you had to go through it's that. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that m- makes sense. Does it also like impact your writing and creative process? Um, would you say? I do write when I'm when I am depressed and experiencing the most anxiety the things that i tend to write are not things that end up being on stage just because Mm. it's like that's too dark (laughs) you can't talk about like wanting to kill yourself but then being like terrified because if you go to heaven and everyone else that's ever been successful is there too like you just have to compare yourself every fucking moment Like, <laughs> that's that's funny. I don't know what you're talking about. That's great. Well, I don't, I don't know if every, every yeah. house mom in Omaha wants to fucking hear that. Yeah. So. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. Here's Kenise giving advice about how to get through depression. But there's a scene where a character is going through a loss of sorts. And she talks to someone who she's very emotionally connected with about it. And they're like, it'll pass. And I know that's like, it's one line in this six hour thing but just acknowledging that like and i i have to think this when i get wake up in the morning and i have no interest in doing anything which Mm -hmm. is more often than i would like but i accept that at this moment that i am feeling this way Mm -hmm. i also recognize that this is just a feeling and that it will pass and that this feeling may even be based on something that's going on in your life but maybe it isn't Mm -hmm. and this is a state not a trait so this is just a temporary place where you are but i think the real danger comes when you're like this is like if before i wake up i don't want to do anything i'm lazy i'm not doing enough overwhelmingly i am feeling like I don't measure up. But all of that, Mm -hmm. all of that is just based on maybe you didn't drink enough water yet. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, this is a, this is a state (laughs) Mm -hmm. and focus really on the traits that you're trying to build and the Mm -hmm. overall goal versus this passing moment, because you've been here before you've done this. You can do it again. Just take a breath, recognize that this is a moment and it'll pass. This program is brought to you in part by Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash Tristan J. Miller to support this program and others like it there. Please rate, review, subscribe on the various podcatchers. Tell people about the show. All right.
Here's my conversation with Kines. Um, so I saw, saw on your website, it, you're a filmmaker as well as a stand-up comedian. Yes. Uh, how, why, when did you start that? Uh, so I started that in at the end of college, and then I went to grad school for film production. Oh, very cool. Yeah, uh, at Boston University. It was nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. It was fun. And now, occasionally I do things. A filmmaker, I do think, makes it seem like I do that with regularity, and I don't, but I do it enough I like I make sure to do at least a project every year so that yeah. I can still say that <laughs> technically I am a filmmaker. Very cool. Um, yeah. And you said you went, you got a master's mm-hmm. in that. Um, what was your undergrad? My undergrad was in history and psychology. Interesting. So what? Why the pivot? Why the pivot? So I was working at the American Psychological Association for my junior year internship, mm-hmm. and I had a meeting with the CEO, like not the CEO, like the head person of the American Psychological Association, and we ended up just talking about movies instead mm-hmm. of talking about, like, psychology or my career or anything. Sure. And then I was talking to my friend about that, and he was also, he was preparing for one of those, like, 24-hour film projects. Yeah. you heard of those where yeah. you have 24 hours, and you get certain elements that have to be included in the script, and mm-hmm. then you have to shoot, like, pre-pro, pro, and then post all in 24 hours. Yeah. And he was like, oh, but it's so hard. You've got to think of these things where it's like, uh, plus this, plus this, plus this, and it all has to be in a four-minute script. And I was like, oh, that's easy. For those four elements, you could do this, then this, and then depending on the genre, this, 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 or this. And he was like, can you... You never talk about psychology or history. You are always talking about movies. Maybe mm-hmm. you should do something with that. Uh-huh. Uh, because I had never even considered that as a possibility. Like mm-hmm. I didn't. I was just like some people do film. I don't know how they get there. I don't know what that process is. Uh, but then I started looking into different schools because I knew that based on where I was living, I was living in Durham, North Carolina at the time. Oh sure, yeah. Uh, I was like, I'm not gonna like outside of working maybe at a TV station. I don't really see like an avenue towards. Mm-hmm. getting the information that I want to have. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, I'll go to school for this. And I applied to places and they let me in. So, Great. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, what was it like growing up in Durham? Oh, so that's where I went to undergrad. I grew oh. up in Charlotte. Uh, Charlotte, the best way I can describe it is that it feels like a Target. <laughs> just that's just it's like very corporate and friendly, but there's like kind of like a smiling face in front of not much. Uh-huh. Yeah, so uh-huh. that's Charlotte. Like, And that's in North Carolina? Yes. Okay. It's like, it's the biggest city in North Carolina. A lot of banks have their headquarters there. Fun. So it's like a banking town, sort Interesting. of. Interesting. But the state is like farming. Like, yeah, So it's yeah. like, it's a weird combination of like some liberal city people and then some very rural, mm-hmm. like conservative people. But we all put a nice smiling face on it mm-hmm. and... This whole city seems to be built as in a like to not offend anyone, I guess. Sure. So it just doesn't have like extremes of any kind. It yeah. doesn't have like, yeah. It's just, it's, it's trying to be very neutral all the time. Interesting. Yeah. That's that's fascinating. Um, and was that hard? Gro- like, I assume you were interested in the arts growing up, right? Yes. Was that difficult to have like such neutral ground all the time? And trying to be an artist, because like a lot of art is like making statements and opinions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it just means I wasn't exposed to a oh. lot of things until like until even college. So, mm-hmm. I I was in plays in school, but it was mm-hmm. very like, what is the most generic like Ducktales yeah. and Bobby Socks? Yeah. What are like <laughs> Damn Yankees? Maybe like yeah. that like that sort of thing. 
Um, so that's like the culture I got <laughs> in school. So not much. I started listening to some indie rock mm-hmm. and I started, uh, so I was kind of a scene kid, but like very vaguely a scene kid in the most generic way you can be a scene kid. Mm-hmm. I didn't wear like all black or anything. I just went to shows. Um, yeah. and then, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, I started going, there was like an independent theater. So I would see some independent movies, uh, but mostly blockbusters. I went to the movies like every single week, mm-hmm. uh, all through middle school and high school. And so it was just like very generic culture and then when yeah. I got to college I started volunteering for the independent theater so I got free movies all oh, the time very cool. and so I just went to see everything that came to Durham for mm-hmm. like between 2006 and 2008 wow yeah uh so then I think I like developed deeper taste and then going to mm-hmm. grad school and like Boston a lot of people hate on Boston. Yeah. It's got a lot of good things. <laughs> One of the great things is that because it has so many universities, there's a lot of like film screenings and speakers who come to talk yeah, about movies yeah, and yeah, things. Yeah. So I lived kind of close to the Harvard Film Archive. Mm-hmm. So I could just hop on my bike, go to the Harvard Film Archive, and watch like shit that I had never seen anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And also have filmmakers come and talk about like their philosophy behind it and stuff that's like amazing. that. That's amazing. So that was, yeah, I'd say that's how I became aware of art and making a statement with it mm-hmm. versus just general North Carolina. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what you mentioned you tried to do a project a year. What are like the most recent few of those? Uh, the most recent one was a sketch with my friend. It's mm-hmm. very silly. Uh, there was a article about Kristen Gillibrand, I think. Okay. And this is at the beginning of last year. And it was like, does Kristen Gillibrand want to be president too much? <laughs> and it was just like, she was just doing all the things that regular yeah. people do when they're campaigning, but they were like, she's too thirsty for being the president. Like, she's too thirsty for presidential power or something. Yeah. It she's was just horny for that Oval Office. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so it was just a very silly little sketch with me and my friend Lillian mm-hmm. uh, where it was her, but like she's trying to play it cool. It's like a, yeah. it's like they're on a date or almost. Oh, that's it's like, fun. So it's like her ignoring texts from America and just being like, no, no, <laughs> I'm not even that interested. Like I don't even care that they're here. Like that's fun. so, yeah, it's very silly, very small. Um, do you write a lot of that then? Do you not think- as much. So I've just started. Like uh-huh. I took a sketch class this January, very cool. and now I'm trying to churn out sketches more regularly. Amazing. Yeah, I think that's um, it's kind of difficult to transition from stand-up comedy to sketch writing because like. Stand-up is like, okay, here's a joke that yeah. I can fit in. Whereas, like, there has to be some sort of arc. But I would assume that you're uniquely positioned with the filmmaking background and the comedy background to really dive into there. I think it does give me a step up because mm-hmm. I'm used to thinking visually in a way mm-hmm. that a lot of my stand-up friends are not. So yeah. they know I want to say a joke. When I talk, when I think about what is funny, it is words coming out of someone's mouth yes. versus like a visual gag or like creating layers within a frame and mm-hmm. those layers working together to create humor. Yeah. Uh, so that is good, but I still need to do it more. Yeah, <laughs> I just absolutely. need to do it more. Yeah. Uh, practice makes better. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I like to pretend as though perfect isn't a realistic goal. I mean, it isn't a realistic goal, yeah. but I need to tell myself that regularly so I don't just like hold myself to an unattainable standard. Absolutely. I think it's like nice to have a concept of like what it could be. Like you can always, you can exponentially make something better if you yes. have enough time. But like at a certain point you have to go, this is good enough. Yeah, this is out. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. How'd you start uh, doing stand-up? So there's two stories that I've been telling and both of them are true but I guess they both work together to create why I started stand-up. So the first one uh, that I've been saying for the longest is 
uh, I was bored at work, and I found that mm-hmm. Spotify has all of these comedy albums on yeah. it. I didn't know that, and so I just started listening to comedy like all day at work. Like I had been listening to podcasts, but because I was at work like eight and a half hours every day, I just would run out of content. Mm-hmm. So I started listening to stand up, and it was like, okay, well, I listen to this person. I listen to all their related artists. I listen to all the related artists mm-hmm. of the related artists. And I just kind of started thinking about like, okay, if this is how they're talking about it, they're not, I feel like there's a gap and I would say it this way or like I would bring up this thing Mm because these two ideas clearly connect to me. And so I started writing those things down like, okay, well, they're not talking about this, but this going from here to here to here, I think would be funny. And so I just wrote five minutes of that and then went to a mic. Um, And once I, I, like I, did well enough at my first mic that I was like, this is all I want to do. Like, this yeah, is creatively yeah. what is fulfilling to me more so than film. I think I did play, like, yeah, I did plays growing up. Like, just all of those things weren't as fulfilling to me as just getting up there. It's me. Yeah. Getting the laughs. It's a direct feed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What were the artists that you were listening to? Do you remember? So I started with Aziz Ansari because I had uh-huh. heard of him. Yes. And I watched Parkinson Rec at that time. Mm-hmm. So I started with Aziz. And then from Aziz, I think it took me to. Jim Gaffigan. I mean, it was, it was like he was really big. I mean, he still is big, but he was like really big at the time. Yeah, so it took yeah. me to like all the other big people. So I listened yeah. to all of Jim Gaffigan, all of Maria Bamford, all of mm-hmm. Tick Notaro, all of Gary Goleman, who's still mm-hmm. one of my favorites. He's incredible. Um, all like I listened to Mike Cat, like just yeah, boom, yeah. boom, 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 just went through the list of everybody. I also listened to like old Chris Rock and yeah. old Eddie Murphy and that sort of thing. They even have like Woody Allen stuff from the '60s That's is on Spotify. So just. Boom, going through all of wow. it. Uh, so I feel like that was kind of some of my comedy yeah. education. Yeah, this absolutely sounds like a boot camp. <laughs> yeah. I, I had a very similar experience. Oh, nice. Um, because I was homeschooled, and so at the afternoons, Comedy Central would just play those half hours. Yeah. And I would just sit and... Um, who would you say is the biggest influence? Ooh. Or, if, or top three? I know top it's hard. Three? I get this question Yeah, it is, it is hard. Yeah. Um, I have to say the ones that, like, the albums that I return to or if I'm thinking about something mm-hmm. that I, like, look up to how they've broken down yeah. a topic. Gary Goldman to me, yeah. is one of the best, like, as far as, like, taking, uh, here's one idea and let me blow this out for yeah. as long as possible and have all of these beats really be examining, like, this thing from different angles. Yeah, they almost feel like short stories. Yes. And he also has, I think, out of, all the comedians, the most effective use of language mm-hmm. that he's cur- currently working because he is verbose, but everything works. Yes, he doesn't. It's none of it's excessive. It's incredible. Um, okay, that makes sense, and that's a very. I I would say. I'm, I'm not gonna say like. I think that's a non-obvious choice, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of people don't necessarily know who Gary is right. in the middle of America. True. Uh, I definitely, people call him a comics comic, and I do yeah. think that that's true. Mm-hmm. But as, yeah, as far as like who's working, who is just humming yeah. along top of their game, I think it's him. Absolutely. Um, like, he's just doing a special coming up. Like, yeah, he's, he's about to record uh, the Great Depression. Yeah, thing. I'm, yeah. I it sold out right before I could. Yeah. <laughs> Every yeah. time I've tried to buy tickets for his stuff, it sells out very quickly. Yeah. Um, so he is probably up there. And there's someone... So I've only seen this person mm-hmm. twice. I've seen Gary a bunch of times. Sure. Because uh, I lived in Boston. He would come up to Boston. He would do a bunch of sets. That That's makes how sense. I met him. Like, I was like, yeah, this guy's cool. Um, but then there's a guy, and I... I don't think he necessarily informs, like, what I talk about. Yeah. But certainly... 
Do you know Andrew Schulz? I know the name. I don't know if I know any of his stuff off the top of my head. So the first time I saw him, he was headlining at Laugh Boston. Mm -hmm. And I think I say he influenced me a lot because I can point like a line between like the way that I would talk about a subject before I saw him perform and the way that I would talk about it after. Because he takes an idea. He's like, this is, I'm going to say something that I know you guys aren't going to like. And then I'm going to build the... both the logic but also the jokes on top of this thing until you guys are laughing almost in spite of yourselves. And that I respect the hell out of. Yeah. Like, I don't, like, there's a lot of shock jocks who think that they are doing that. Yeah. And I am usually very annoyed by that. It's just like, hey, I'm just saying something offensive. And it's like, ugh. Like, that, I I don't think that that's funny. I don't think that that's good joke writing. But if you can do that, and it's clear that you're not, like, a shitty person and also like make me mm-hmm. see the logic behind mm-hmm. potentially a shitty thought like that is great he has this one joke that it's um i'm not gonna do it justice yeah. but it's essentially like countries that have the best record on women's rights mm-hmm. have the worst food <laughs> <laughs> and he goes through and like discusses like why they're like different things. That's hysterical. It's very good. Like yeah. I highly recommend if you get a chance to see him. If he does that, I mean, he has other yeah, jokes yeah. that are really good. That's but he very does, good. And the way that he lets himself get hype on stage in a certain yeah. way. Like I think before I saw him, I would say my I, like I didn't have like a completely neutral affect. Yeah. But like now I like I will start speaking fast and like get very like excited. Yeah on stage in a yeah. certain way. And yeah, I think I got that from him. That's great. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of comedians that are very deadpan because they're like, if anything, the joke should be working. Yeah. But it's one of those, like, this stuck with me. At one point, Craig Ferguson was like, it, I think it's more important to be charming and get the audience on your side than to be funny. Mm-hmm. Because you can be as funny as you want, but if you have, like, an abrasive personality, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't work. <laughs> it's specifically for Craig, like, half the stuff he says is, like, pretty standard jokes. Yeah. But the way he says it is very engaging. And so you're like, okay, I'm on board. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. And, um, like, one, you, I think you do need to be funny, and I think you yeah, do need to write jokes. But, yeah, the initial, like, 10 seconds that you're on stage, oh, yeah. what they get from you and mm-hmm. whether or not they like you will determine m- much more how they're going to react to the things that you say then like oh i came out with a good lot like yeah it's it's not gonna yeah absolutely and i think to what you said about like you can tell whether or not someone's like actually a, a jerk yeah. on stage and it's one of those things of a lot of people who are saying offensive things don't seem to realize like you have five minutes to get to know you yeah or sometimes eight if you're lucky and it's like they don't know that you're not actually a racist. Yeah. It's like, they, that's, it's like, come on, it's clearly a joke. It's like, no, oh, it's, it's not. not. Yeah. Like, I'm very tired, and I've, I've seen it come in waves. I've been doing comedy for six years, mm-hmm. and I feel like it's, it was, and then it wasn't, and then I see some people doing it, and I'm very, but like this ironic racism, and it's like. Oh, sure. But pe- yeah, like, again, like, to your point, people don't know you. Yeah. It feels the same to the group that you're maligned. Like, yeah. it, it doesn't feel like, oh, oh, I get that he said that he hates black people, but like, somehow I'm going to not feel <laughs> weird and self-conscious in this moment. And like, yeah, it's just, don't, stop doing it. Yeah. You don't have the control of the material yet. And it's the same way, like, um. 
I, I'm not really a fan of any white comedian using the N-word, but yeah. you don't use the N-word until you've, like, you have a mastery of the craft yeah. in order to be able to even remotely justify doing that. Absolutely. And right now, a lot of the people who are trying with ironic racism do not have the mastery of the craft and absolutely. are not pulling it off, so. That absolutely makes sense. Or I, sexism, yeah. homophobia, etc. But yeah, yeah. all of it, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah it's... Very strange, and specifically, it, it comes from, I think, the same place of, like, people trying, like, wanting to be similar to comics they admire. And it's one of those things of, like, maybe you should admire different comics. Yeah! <laughs> of, like, just maybe the climate's not for this right now. Yeah! Or go play Atlantic City. That's fine. Yeah, just... there are places in the middle of the country, but don't come here to New York and be like, "What? You don't you don't like my thing where I say all immigrants are terrible? You don't like it's like no, it's like of course not. Yeah, <laughs> we all know immigrants. Maybe chill. Like yeah. Um, you spoke briefly about um the idea of perfectionism, mm -hmm. and do you feel that pressure when you're writing jokes? Sometimes. So I've. I certainly, when I started, I think mm -hmm. I felt that. Like, I didn't want to say anything on stage until it had been, like, tested at a billion open mics. And I knew, like, all of the words. And there wasn't a single word that was in there that wasn't necessary. Mm -hmm. Which I, that's the thing that, I took stand-up classes in Boston. I'm following Gary Goldman's, like, tips for stand-up uh, right now. But it is, like, taking out the unnecessary words just mm -hmm. for clarity and because you have a limited amount of time. So I used to do that so tightly mm. and people would tell me that my stuff sounded almost a little too rehearsed. Sure, yeah. And now I I think I'm a little less precious about it. So I think mm. I do more writing on stage and mm. given the fact that like now I, I maybe people will be like, Kinesia, you're a bitch, but uh, <laughs> okay. I don't have time to go to open mics as much as I used to. Is yeah. Like Which now is I'm a nice doing thing, Yeah, right? it's a nice thing. Like yeah. I do uh, and last month was crazy, but, like, I do probably 24 to 30 booked shows every month. That's and great. And so it's, like, I, I, I'm not going to spend, like, the two nights all I have a month at an open mic. Like, yeah, I'm not yeah. going to do it. <laughs> so Absolutely. I am trying to, like, okay, how can I try more things out, sandwich things between existing material to, like, test it out? So I'm a yeah. little less perfectionist there, but... Because I'm now just starting the process of, like, sketch writing and mm -hmm. doing, like, I'm taking a TV writing course right now. Mm -hmm. uh, it is, like, it's so, I, I was sitting in front of my computer today for three hours, and I got three pages done, mm -hmm. and I don't feel good about any of it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, this isn't where it needs to be, but you have to, you have to put words on the page as a starting point. But it makes me so mad that it's like, I, I can... And it, this is the dilemma of anyone starting an art based on them liking that art. Your tastes yeah. are always well in advance of what your skills are. So you're just sitting there like, this is shit, and I know it's shit, and everyone else is going to know it's shit, but mm. I just haven't done this enough to make it not shit, and it kills me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that absolutely makes sense. There's that whole, um, I can't remember, there's a term for it, but the idea of uh, doing something a lot rather than doing something once really well yes. as practice. And that is something that I I think the more you do something that you like it, I don't understand people who like I'm writing a novel, I'm just going to work on this and that's all. I'm like you have to You should just, write other things. Yeah, just practice doing it, yeah. my guy. Um do you think that comes from an anxiety place to have to deal with that? It I have 
I've had therapy off and on since I was mm-hmm. 16. Sure. Uh, they have said that I have general anxiety disorder. Yeah. Uh, I... I think that is true, but mm-hmm. like I feel like there's got to be like a better test than me just like telling you that I'm anxious and then you being like you have general anxiety disorder. It feels real willy nilly, and like sure. I say that from someone who has a degree in psychology, but it's like it, this yeah. feels this feels a little. Uh, I, I guess I have it. Like yeah. I, I am anxious. I do have panic attacks, which uh-huh. is a real issue. It comes from anxiety, but also some of this anxiety is from how do I uh, um. When I was a kid, mm-hmm. I was always told, oh, my gosh, you have so much potential. Yeah. And that sits on my back all of the time. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I, I clearly have the ability to be great, but mm-hmm. I don't feel great, so that must mean I'm not doing enough. Yeah, I absolutely can understand that. Um, yeah, that is a tough thing to, to live with. Um, but do you think that makes your stuff better or worse? <clears throat> or at least the process? That is tough. I, th- I'm trying, I'm, <laughs> maybe for the first time, I'm examining, like, what would my life be like mm-hmm. without this thing kind of sitting on mm-hmm. me all the time? And, Honestly, like, I'm having a hard time imagining <laughs> even that. Yeah. Like, even conceptualizing. Like, just, yeah. like, wanting to do a thing and then just doing it. Like, that seems yeah. crazy. Like, I guess some people can do that, and that's, yeah. like, how a lot of people function. But, like, it that, that seems so foreign to, like, instead of, like, okay, so I want to do a thing, and then let me evaluate that yeah. thing in the scope of all of my goals and my overarching <laughs> value system, and then, wait, are you good at that? Like, just, oh, there's, yeah. uh, so... I, I I don't know, dude. <laughs> That's perfect. Maybe fun. maybe I would be like, I don't. Did you ever do you watch Rick and Morty? Some, yeah. There's one episode where they go to this spot. It says it's gonna take all the toxins out of them, yeah. right? And so they go into this room and then uh, they wake up and they're in this like boggy, gross place. And then they realize they were the toxins. And then so Rick and Morty are out there existing. Like, if they didn't have all this shit in their heads. Yeah. Uh, and it's almost, un- like, their lives are completely different. Yeah. So, like, Morty is kind of, like, this little sociopath. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's what I, like, if I didn't have all these blocks, <laughs> like, keeping yeah. me in check, I might be a fucking sociopath. <laughs> yeah, I, I used to do this line of, like, I think that, um, like, self-awareness is, like, uh, the immune system for bad behavior and then neurosis is like having lupus where it's just constantly attacking yeah, yeah exactly where it stops being useful but it is a similar thing of like i think you to be thoughtful which is part of anxiety is to temper yourself and make sure you're not being a jerk and you're not you're actually doing something good yeah um why'd you start going to therapy uh so i started going to therapy well uh I had, like, a full-blown meltdown at school. Okay. Um, we all been there. Yeah. It's okay. uh, or it was like this, I was dating this guy for a long time. We ended up dating for, like, three years, and a bunch of shit went down, and I was just, like, in the hallway crying, right? Yeah. And I just, like, could not go to class. And they were, like, called people to, like, they were, like, Whoa. she's just crying in the hallway. We don't know what to do about it. Uh, so they made me go to the guidance counselor and the guidance counselor was like, 
We have this lady, she's getting her master's in psychology at UNC Charlotte, and she's going to come talk to you every week, and those, these are going to be good for her because she gets her hours and you'll get free therapy. Mm-hmm. And I met with this woman, and this is when I, like, this is why I didn't go to therapy probably from the age of 17 to 22, mm-hmm. because she was terrible. <laughs> she was just, yeah. she was just like, that sounds bad. <laughs> and I was like, you don't understand what I'm going through at all. Yeah. Like, it was... And, like, this plays into it. Like, I was one of the few black kids in, like, all my AP classes. And I was, like, really, really pushing myself in school. And I would talk to her about, like, issues around race. And she mm-hmm. could not deal with it at all. She was just like, that sounds tough. Um, they, uh, maybe there's a different reason why they're being mean to you. And it's like, oh, so it's, yeah, you're right. It's, uh, yeah, maybe it's my personality. Maybe I should worry about that more. Like, great, you know. So it's like, cool, uh, well, yeah. this was really not helpful, and now I just sure. have to cry in front of this woman every week for, like, six months, and then <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm not, I don't, this fucking, if that's what therapy is, therapy fucking sucks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. Um, I have a couple of questions. Yeah. But one of them is, do you think the anxiety also comes from, like, the idea that you have to prove that there's this this element of race of like you have to prove that you're good enough yes around white people yeah i mean i'm around everybody like yeah i i, <laughs> I don't only think white people look at black people like yeah. maybe you're not good enough i think black people look like at black people like maybe you're not good i think just societally yeah. if you are on if there is a spectrum where people perceive some people to be at the top of it and some people to be at the bottom of it all people on that spectrum are aware of some people's placement at the bottom and yeah. so it's like Yes, I have to prove that I'm good enough, smart enough all of the time. But mm-hmm. also, like, I have to not be overdoing that because then I'm buying it. And then it's just like, it, the, I don't want to get on a loop, but it can start a loop. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then why'd you go back to therapy? I went back to therapy. Why did I go back to therapy? Hmm. Why did you? I was in grad school. Oh, mm-hmm. another, I had my first panic attack. Uh-huh. And they were like, yeah, you need to do something. This isn't working. This isn't working. Because I was, this was at a time where I had a full course load mm-hmm. for grad school, full time. And then I was working 25 hours a week in the office to pay for some of that stuff. Um, and then on top of that, this was the semester that I had to shoot my thesis film. Mm -hmm. And so I was shooting my thesis film that weekend. And then it was also during admission. So I worked in specifically in the admissions office for the College of Communication at Boston University. And that week is when, if normally you're expected to work 25 hours a week, those weeks are expected to work like 35, 40 hours a week. And so that plus all my schoolwork, plus my thesis, I was like, I just completely had a meltdown, yeah. and I was just laying on the floor <laughs> in the office. I, I I was really good friends with the lady who was like my boss, yeah. Uh, and we had to work in the same room, and I just sat in the corner and typed. But at a certain point, I was just like, I I can't. <laughs> and yeah. Then I just laid down, and she was like, "You need to start going to therapy yeah. because you're not handling like all of this. This was not planned out." well like these things are all happening at the same time and you do not have the resources to support that not that like nobody would have the resources to like just given the number of hours in a day you don't have enough hours and you need to talk to somebody um and also get better at planning um Mm -hmm. so i started going to a therapist then uh he was very he was nice but he was very sex negative and as a person who like 
enjoys my life as a single lady. Uh, it, that became a sore point. Uh, then I moved to Los Angeles because that's where the end of the film program is. You do a semester oh. in Los Angeles. And so I had like three different therapists in Los Angeles. Uh, one was just a guy, old Japanese guy, who never said anything. So we I come into my office. I think the whole time we like I saw him, which was probably eight months, I heard him say maybe four things, but he'd go, hmm, hmm, and then, like, start off with, like, tell me about this. And I was like, this does not feel productive. This is not my style of therapy at all. Um, And then I had other people who were a little bit more active. I tend to respond to people who give me homework because – Yeah. Yeah, like – I'm the same way. Um, I've done a little bit of talk therapy. That's what I'm doing now. Which nice. Make, which makes sense because I'm at a point where I'm managing well. Yeah. But, like, initially I did all cognitive behavioral stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, please, this is the thing I want to come in. I want to work on this this yes. week. Yes. And they're like, this is very goal-oriented. Are you good? I'm like, I'm fine. Yeah. I just need to fix this problem. Yeah. <laughs> this is what's happening. I can't, like, yeah. straight talk therapy, oh. I, I'm, that, I don't know. I don't get a lot out of it. No, it just feels like a conversation with someone you barely know. Yeah. It feels like a third date. Yes. And it's very frustrating because the whole time we're like, are we going to fuck after this? What's going on? Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, uh, that all makes sense. Are you cu- currently doing it? So I was seeing a therapist and he would give me some homework. I wish that he would have given me more, uh, but I changed my insurance. So I see. now I'm like, all right, let me get settled. Because I, okay, I quit my job recently. Okay. Uh, I had been working, I moved to New York two and a half years ago. I had been working the same job the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a good job, but the company was purchased by a multinational conglomerate that I don't want to work for. So I was like, I think you've saved up enough. I think you've done your time. You get a summer off. But then they were like, oh, you, we okay, so you thought that you could have the same insurance. But actually, JK, uh, you would have to pay us like $750 a month to keep the insurance that you used to have. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, cool, 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 cool. So I'm going to go on Medicaid. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> let me do this really quickly. Do the math. Okay, yep, poverty. Okay, nope, not yeah. going to do that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, now I have, like, a very cheap health insurance yeah. thing. Uh, but not none of my former providers are on that insurance. So. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. It's a pain in my ass, but yeah. now I'm in the process. Okay, I've gotten my footing. I've mm-hmm. established, like, a work schedule for myself. Maybe now I can start to go to therapy again. Yeah. Um, how's the impact of not having a job now? How's that influence your mental health? I feel so much better. Yeah, really? Good. I was like, how did... You can't, like, as an adult, and especially as a woman, I feel crazy being like, but what if I just never had to work? Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like I'd be so much happier. Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah. There's a certain level of people of being a housewife, even for men. They're like, why can't yeah, I just, do that. you know, can I just be hot and cook? cook? Yeah, I was like, I'm a pretty good cook. I'm good at organizing a household. I yeah. can do all the finances. That's fine. But, like. And you just pay for me to have a place to live <laughs> yeah. and the groceries. That's so like, eh, mm-hmm. eh. Um, but it's going well. Yeah, it is. Uh, so at first it was kind of like, I was saying, I'm going to go accomplish all these things in a day. And that's unrealistic because yeah. even when, like when I had a job, I was still doing like 22 to 25 shows a month. And so I was just super burnt out. So like yeah. me taking this time off, the aim is not to continue to be super burnt out. So it's like, okay, realistically, what can you get done in a day? And also, you have time 
during the weekdays, what are some things you want to check out? So, like, I'm trying to go to museums, and I did a, like, on Friday, I city biked around uh, the bottom of Manhattan. And, yeah, so I'm just, I feel good, like, hey, I'm crossing off a bunch of things from my, like, life to-do list. Yeah, that makes sense. Are the therapists different in L.A. versus here? Do you think there's a different vibe? Much like the comedy scene, I'm curious. Huh, huh. I think I was... I was in the Kaiser Permanente Health System in <laughs> L.A., and I don't remember having as good of an experience as I had in Boston, is mm. how I can say that. And it's also, like, who I was seeing. So I, like, old men, mm-hmm. I think I had less success rates with yeah. than, like, middle-aged women. And I've had really good success rates with those people. In fact, mm-hmm. my favorite therapist, who I wish I still had, and I would have if insurance covered, like, video sure. stuff. But so many of them, and it's, like, it's not that different, like, yeah. what we're doing. Like, it's just I'm sitting in front of a camera, she's sitting in front of a camera. But just that level of technology involved means mm-hmm. that they do not accept it and they will not cover it. Um, but she was, oh. She got all my movie references, so I could yeah. be like, I feel like this movie plus this movie, or when this happens to this character in this movie, this is what I feel like right now, mm-hmm. and she could understand that very quickly. Um, in New York, I've had a lot of people who don't listen. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> uh, one lady I remember, because I was this is when I was like, I only want to see a female person of color therapist. Mm-hmm. And so I went, and... The search for that was even super frustrating because so many of them don't take insurance at all. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, what? Or they're like, yeah, we do like a sliding scale, but you make enough that you aren't getting any discounts of any kind. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm, I can't. Fu-. Like, So I found this one lady. She took my insurance. I met with her. I was talking about some dating issue I was having. Mm-hmm. And she just kept being like how she kept pushing it toward and i think she had just read something or gone to some conference about how like tinder and some of the ways that we online date now are dehumanizing mm-hmm. and she just kept pushing that and i was like i have a specific thing that's like not related to that at all um but you seem to really want to talk about this and you've handed me this article that's not relevant mm-hmm. to anything that i've said to you so cool cool i'm not coming back here yeah <laughs> um had you ha- have you had to deal with any other like do you have you you had to deal with depression or anything like that or yeah it, yeah I think the depression is, but it's so tied into the anxiety like that makes sense and yeah. I can like don't worry like I I get everyone gets has bad days but like when I am in a deep depression it is also it always comes with like crippling anxiety yeah yeah okay. so it's like I'm sad that I'm not doing anything but I'm also paralyzed with complete anxiety that has taken over everything and then yeah. i've got to like slowly figure out how to be a person again and then yeah mm-hmm. and how do you how do you cope with that specifically if you're doing shows uh that is i do feel lucky that i can still do comedy even when i am not happy mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. experiencing joy um i can still do it at a certain level i don't think i'm as good as when i am actually feeling happy and enjoying what I'm doing. But um, I don't know. I Like, two months ago, I was at a show, my show, and I get a call, and it's that my friend, a pretty good friend, had just died. 
Oh, I'm sorry. But then I had to walk on stage and do comedy. And it's like, I don't know. There's a part of me that is able to turn all of that off when I am on stage. And that's honestly, that might be why I have done comedy as much as I've done it over the last six years. Like, not that I'm depressed all of the time, but it is certainly nice that regardless of how I am personally feeling, Mm -hmm. I can turn that off and go on stage and do this thing. Yeah. I think that's also a huge appeal of like acting. Like you don't have to think about your own problems yes. for whatever amount of time. But yeah, that sounds really rough. I'm sorry you had to go through it's that. Okay. Um, but yeah, that m- makes sense. Does it also like impact your writing and creative process? Um, would you say? I do write when I'm when I am depressed and experiencing the most anxiety. The things that I tend to write are not things that end up being on stage, just because mm. it's like. That's too dark. (laughs) You can't talk about like wanting to kill yourself, but then being like terrified because if you go to heaven and everyone else that's ever been successful is there too, like you just have to compare yourself every fucking moment. (laughs) Like, (laughs) that's that's funny. I don't know what you're talking about. That's great. Well, I don't don't know if every every house mom in Omaha wants to fucking hear that. So that's yeah. Um, but yeah, that all makes sense. And like, I think that's good though, that you're still pushing through and writing. Yeah. Cause I think the temptation would be like, oh, I can't really do that. Yeah. What would you tell, like, what basically what's your biggest piece of advice for someone who would be going through similar things? Hmm. Hmm. This is, this answer is based on what I am experiencing in this moment and also media that I've consumed recently. Mm-hmm. So if, if if someone is listening to this and like mentions this to me in like a year, then maybe it would be very different. Yeah. But right now, so it's so frustrating. It's not frustrating. Someone made a good piece of media. Fleabag season two mm-hmm. is really, really good. And it really, uh, like it struck me in a way that like an, other TV shows hadn't. And I'm getting to the yeah, answer to your yeah. question. But there's a scene where a character is going through a loss of sorts, and she talks to someone who she's very emotionally connected with about it, and they're like, it'll pass. And I know that's like, it's one line in this six-hour thing, but just acknowledging that, like, and I I have to think this when I get wake up in the morning and I have no interest in doing anything, which Mm -hmm. is more often than I would like, but I accept that at this moment that I am feeling this way. Mm-hmm. I also recognize that this is just a feeling and that it will pass and that this feeling may even be based on something that's going on in your life, but maybe it isn't. Mm-hmm. And this is a state, not a trait. So this is just a temporary place where you are. But I think the real danger comes when you're like, this is like if before I wake up, I don't want to do anything. I'm lazy. I'm not doing enough. Overwhelmingly, I am feeling like I don't measure up. But all of that, Mm -hmm. all of that is just based on maybe you didn't drink enough water. Like, yeah, yeah. Like this is a this is a state (laughs) Mm -hmm. and focus really on the traits that you're trying to build and the Mm -hmm. overall goal versus this passing moment, because you've been here before. You've done this. You can do it again. Just take a breath recognize that this is a moment and it'll pass that's great and i think that's it touches on this idea where it's like it's not your personality yeah your personality your choices and how you make 
decisions and your morality and that sort of thing. Whereas like you can be a good person, you can be a bad person, you can still be depressed. It doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> I do want to touch on one thing mm-hmm. um, before we wrap up because I was kind of linked together of like this idea. And if you d- if you don't want to answer this question because you've gotten it gotten it too much, let me know. Of the pressure of like being better and kind of proving that you're basically that you're worthy of being where you're at. Yeah. And how has that been the case for stand up as well as like academia for mm. you? Uh probably. And it's inter- I don't think I'm going to offend anybody but maybe I will. Uh <laughs> it's interesting how that feeling has changed living in New York and living in Boston. So in Boston I felt like I had to be twice as good as other people who were getting the same opportunities as me. And that was really frustrating to be like, I have more material than these people. I am consistently killing more than these people are, but I'm not being considered for these opportunities. Mm -hmm. And that was like hyper frustrating. Yeah. I will say moving to New York, I don't really feel that way anymore. That's good. Um, Or rather, I feel like, the effort that I am putting in is being rewarded. Mm -hmm. And while there are some people who aren't putting in as much effort or maybe aren't as strong on the writing comedy stand-up front, overall, when I see, like, a list of, like, people who were killing it or, like, people who were being recognized, all those people are fucking good. (laughs) All those people, like, this is where the best people in the world come to do stand-up. And all these lists have are 80% at least of people who I'm like 100% they deserve like yeah. I I feel no qualm about me not getting that thing and them getting that thing they deserve it they've been working at this for twice as long as I have totally get it yeah and I think that's such a good place to be in um, I recently had this thing of like it's a great sign when all your friends have upward mobility yeah. and all your friends are succeeding or people you know and you're like okay I'm in a group yes. where that's happening how you you do a fair amount of stuff you you write you make sketches you do comedy how do you how do you balance all of that um in two ways one with your like mental health and like making sure you're focusing on the right thing mm-hmm. and then also as like a personal identity do you like think I'm a writer because that's what stand-up and writing is or how do you okay um sorry it's kind of a long question no no I'm, I'm just trying to break it down and to get to give answers fully to that um mm-hmm. so as far as my identity I do strongly identify as a stand-up and I sh- I would like to shift that closer to like the writing edge but right now like the thing it is kind of pulling pins and needles because I know when I'm writing that it's not very good um, or writing something besides stand-up mm-hmm. that it's not very good, and it like pains me to sit there and be bad at something. So I do very strongly identify myself as a stand-up, and because I moved here after I started stand-up, I moved here almost as like the last person in a cohort of people moving from Boston. I see. The vast majority of my friends are stand-ups. Mm-hmm. In fact, when it comes to people I see on a weekly basis, it's all stand-ups. And I have a few friends peppered here and there that aren't stand-ups. Uh, one way that I am trying to balance it at this moment is, like, on my summer to-do list <laughs> is to make friends that aren't stand-up. Sure. Uh, and I reckon, like, hopefully I can maintain those once I have to get a day job again in the fall. But right now it's like, okay, how do you find these people? Absolutely. <laughs> Where are they? <laughs> <laughs> 
what do they do? Yeah. Do you just go to museums and look lost until someone's your friend? I don't know. <laughs> but I did meet, like, this is very silly, but I'm, like, very happy that I made a new friend. I'm, I was at yeah, a show. It was this lady who came to the show. She knew somebody who threw the show, but she wasn't, she's not a comedian at all. And mm-hmm. she's like, we can just talk about not comedy stuff. This is cool. Yeah. She's the person who I went biking with, and I was like, all right, yeah, I can do other things. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, that all makes sense. Is there anything that you also want to add before we wrap up here? Um, advocate for yourself. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, just in just going to a doctor or a mental health professional, like whatever, uh, make sure that you are being listened to. Because yeah. I have gone to several doctors that immediately said, we're going to put you on something. Mm-hmm. And it, it, that just did not work for me. Mm-hmm. And so advocating for myself and saying, hey, I understand that that works for a lot of people. And mm-hmm. I understand the reasons why you are saying this. But I, ha- I have been in this body this whole time. And yeah. I recognize that this is normal and this isn't normal. And so being able to say, like, okay, the panic attacks are slowing down or I have, I can control this in a certain way, but this other thing I can't control and I need help with. Mm-hmm. So being able to recognize, like, this is what's going, like, mindfulness, whatever, but, like, mm-hmm. this is what's going on with me and I am going to articulate it to you. And if you're repeating back something that isn't actually reflective of my experience, being like, no, 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 no. Let's continue to talk about this before you just... Because this guy, he gave me... I was like, I'm having trouble sleeping. And he's like, take gabapeptin or something, mm-hmm. and which is like an anti-seizure um, medication. Yeah. And it has a shit list of yeah. side effects that I'm like, I'm not comfortable with that. But after meeting me for 20 minutes, you're like, here, take this. And yeah. it's something that you can't just like stop taking if it's not working for you. And if you do just stop taking it, it will you will start having seizures? Mm-hmm. Like... That's a con- we should have a longer yeah. conversation before you just throw this at me, you know? Absolutely. I could not agree more. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you very much for doing this. 